Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, managing partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Dan Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina Health Partners. We have a great discussion topic today where we're going to spend some time talking about the alignment of finance leaders, really the CFO, with the physician leaders, and some suggestions on how they really do need to collaborate, share information, have common goals, work through a number of key initiatives to ensure that as we're we're moving forward, we're aligned with what our goals need to be and how we need to get there. You know, as as we as a healthcare industry continue to evolve into value-based care, more and more physicians are assuming leadership roles. They're assuming these roles with leading, say, integrated health networks or clinically integrated networks or ACOs. They're assuming these roles in leading, say, clinical service lines where they have a considerable budget and starting to really build out revenue opportunities, collaboration opportunities, and so forth. They're also leading hospitals and health systems. And the thought process there with physicians leading this is to really drive the new clinical delivery models, to really drive the clinical outcomes in such a way that we are creating value. But for the finance leader, the the perspective is a little bit different. You know, in a fee-for-service world, it's pretty easy to identify the return on the investment, right? If you go out and you negotiate a new fee-for-service contract, if you're able to negotiate a two or three or 5% increase in your fee schedule, it's pretty easy to quantify what that ROI is. But in value-based care, it's a little tougher. Sometimes, in most cases, not even sometimes, in most cases, that ROI may not be seen for a couple years down the road. So investments that we're making now, realizing those returns, either in terms of cost savings or improved clinical outcomes or strategic partner alignment, again, may take a couple of years in the making. And sometimes it's a little tough for the finance folks to kind of wrap their heads around. Three of my colleagues wrote a great article, Physicians and Finance, Managing the Differences is Critical to Building Clinical Value. It was published by Healthcare Financial Management, HFMA, in their HFM journal. And it they did a great job of speaking to the, the different perspectives of the finance leader, as well as the clinical leader, and then how they, the suggestions to bring that together in this new leadership concept, if you will. And we want to spend some time talking about that. I really want to highlight a couple of really key areas there that they had mentioned. So with that, I'm, I'm really pleased today to have two of my colleagues join me in the discussion. George Maisel, who's Managing Principal of Lumina Health Partners, and Steve Berger, also Principal of Lumina Health Partners. So Steve, maybe we can start with you. And by the way, I, I really enjoyed the article. You, you all did a great job of, of kind of highlighting the different perspectives. And um, I think to talk about that today is going to be great for the audience. So, so Steve, as we start to think about 
organizations, a lot of hospitals and health systems are continuing to focus on reducing costs, right? And it's no secret, many organizations are concerned that their costs are too high, reimbursement is going down. You know, we want to try to get as close to the Medicare reimbursement from a cost standpoint as possible, and it's tough. And then, you know, when, when I hear the counter from the physicians, many of the physicians are saying, well, you know, if we cut costs too much, we're going to cut services or it's going to impact the delivery of our care to our patients. How do we manage that? What are some of the things that you're hearing from the CFOs? Okay, well, Dan, thank you so much for the intro. Uh, let me first say, before I answer that question that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that hospital or health system CFOs have trouble getting their heads around looking at ROIs two or two or more years into the future. Uh, I'd just like to suggest that's probably not the case. They can get their heads around it. They can understand what they're looking at and they can project, plan and project into the future. They would like to see more returns, more immediate returns. They'd like to be able to make sure that what they think they were going to get in return is being gotten, but they also understand that some of these initiatives, some of them will take time and they plan for it and they speak to it and they write about it to their executives and their boards. Uh, and they will give you benchmarks along the way to see if they're getting there. Because if they couldn't do that, then there is no way we could ever buy or lease or acquire capital equipment, which all have years into the future returns. So that's just a thought. I just wanted to put that out there. I think that's important. The CFOs are by nature looking at quarterly reporting, even if they're not-for-profit CFOs in hospitals. Quarterly reporting is still important. If they have any bond issues, they will have to be reporting to the bond analysts. So quarterly reporting is still important, just as it is in the for-profit Fortune 500 world. Nonetheless, they can make heads or tails easily out of what they're looking at and what they want to acquire in order to improve the bottom lines into the future. And those acquisitions can include not only pieces of equipment, but include, it could include physician practices, et cetera, those kinds of things. Now let me answer your question that you, you posed about uh, what are the finance people looking at? What are the finance executives looking at right now as it relates to possibly cost reductions in relation to how that might affect clinical outcomes and the relationship with physicians? The answer is it's difficult. It's complex, as you might expect. Hospitals, by their very nature, are complex organizations. They're run by certain groups. They're operated by other groups. Clinical outcomes is the most important thing we should be doing. CFOs understand that, but they also understand the margin mission the dichotomy. You can't have a mission without a margin. You just can't. So they need to maintain it some way, shape, or form, or try to maintain it in a way that gets them into the future in a very good way while supplying the clinicians with the things that they need. You're absolutely right. And so, so let me jump in here for a second, Steve, and maybe I turn this back over to, to George real quick. Sure. So George, when, you know, when, when Steve's talking about, you know, the investments that have to occur and, you know, the CFOs are doing this with an eye on, on obviously the dollars and, you know, the operating performance, and, and frankly, that's their job. 
you know, it, it does put physician leaders in, in, a, in a tough spot, right? Because a lot of them are focused on how they need to improve the quality and, and care to patients. That's really what they were trained with. What are you hearing or what are you seeing? How are physician leaders handling this in terms of the, these discussions with their counterparts? Yeah, no, thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, these are complex issues, as Steve said. And I think um, physicians certainly, for, first and foremost, want to have great outcomes for the patients and great patient experience. But they're not naive to the financial costs of healthcare. Um, they see it every day in their practices. They see it in reimbursement. So they understand reimbursement in, in basic principles. The challenge is there's huge disconnects between hospital finances and physician finances. And some of that's out of everybody's control because it's driven by the payers and, and the pricing models. Um, even if they're employed, there's still often a disconnect, although sometimes the compensation models can do a much better job at alignment. The second piece is something I think we'll get into more here is getting the appropriate data. Cutting costs across the board doesn't generally work in healthcare at some point. At some point, the marginal cutting the cost cuts into care, healthcare delivery quality. So what has to happen, you have to restructure, change the process of how healthcare is delivered so that you can actually make it more efficient and therefore cut costs without impacting outcomes. And I think that's really where we wanna go and that's where some of the healthy tension exists between uh, finance and physicians. Oh, I agree with you. I think, you know, when you think about cost reduction, it's a balance, right? In terms of how much you reduce costs versus, you know, the care that you're being delivered. And I think in some cases you can pick up a lot of cost reduction through, through efficiencies. And, you know, so I guess, you know, Steve, you know, how attuned, are the CFOs to that? I think a lot of the, you know, from what I've been able to, to talk through, you know, many of the CFOs, I think, do believe that they can create some efficiencies, but some of them are reducing efficiencies through cutting FTEs, for instance, which in the end of result may not necessarily be creating efficiencies. It may be just cutting services. Correct. There, there is a role to looking at optimizing labor. And I'll use that term. Some people don't like it, but there's some role in that. It's not the only role though. What we need to really reimagine healthcare operationally is a better collaboration between physicians and the financial leadership. In this discussion, we were leaving out CEOs, COOs, but we can't really leave out the CMOs, the chief medical officers, or the CNOs, the chief nursing officers. They need to be part of this conversation. We need more collaboration between finance and clinical. In this case, we're talking physicians. We need more collaboration. And that collaboration is around numbers. It's the numbers. We in finance have a bunch of numbers we can't always seem to address that with the physicians because they may not be available to be wanting to listen to the numbers. That's one of the key issues. How do we get the physicians to sit down, the physicians who say they want to collaborate, the physicians, the physicians who say they're not spending too much, the physicians who say we want to do a better job, but if finance has numbers, and we want to share them, then we need to get these two groups together in a room and be able 
in a very real way. It doesn't have to be a long meeting, but at least we can put it together so that we can show them there are opportunities, not because finance says we want to cut labor, because there are ways to do this clinically. Finance has no control over. Physicians have the control. Let's do it. Let's show them so that they can perhaps adjust their practices to do uh, to use best practice best practices with best practice clinical outcomes, which right. can be less expensive, and I can prove it. So when we we talk about the numbers, and the numbers are key, you know, the finance is their numbers, but I would argue that the the clinical side they have their numbers, right, and they have the clinical outcomes. So you know, when, 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 you, when you look at the two, is it, is it more about maybe not sharing the information or is it more about that we're not collaborating together on interpreting the combined information? And George, I'm, I guess I'm gonna throw that out to you. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was thinking as Steve was talking. Um, the numbers are critical, but it's about the right numbers in the right, in the right format. It needs to be really actionable, inform actionable information. The numbers need to be a good combination of finance, which, which we have, but also clinical outcomes and clinical processes. Because again, what, what the physicians are looking for, okay, if I'm taking a disease and I wanna treat it more efficiently, give me the information to do that. What, what, what's different about what I'm doing or my peers are doing that I could do differently? So it's really about making sure, and frankly, to get those kind of metrics, I think that's where finance and physicians need to sit down and agree on, on what we're gonna measure and measuring the right stuff. And then after that, um, you have to build a process that makes it very easy then for the physicians to do the right thing. Because again, you, you can't impinge more time constraints on physicians who are already very time pressed. You have to make it very easy for them to make those changes. And the third piece of that they need to change some of the incentive models so that when um, they're really outcomes-based so that when there's good outcomes and good results and good efficiency and good financial stewardship, everybody wins. So I think those are the pieces of the puzzle that I think everybody's challenged with. I think everybody agrees they need to be done, but, but getting them done is, is very challenging. In the article, you guys have a, a great line that I'd like to reference, and it, it says, Physicians want finance to understand the value proposition in terms of physician benefit. In turn, the finance leaders want physicians to understand the budget trade-offs involved and be ready to make difficult decisions. And I guess, George, that's exactly what you're talking about. And, and as we kind of think about that in a practical environment, you know, there's ways to improve efficiencies. OR perioperative efficiencies, right? OR efficiencies, where you kind of think about, you know, reducing clinical variation and coming up with some cost reductions, but such in such a way that you're able to drive some real positive clinical outcomes. I think coming together, as you had mentioned, in the right incentives with the right data to drive the right results is really what's key. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think what we're all talking about, and it's one of the, the nice, great things in medicine where it's a win-win-win for the, the hospital organization, the physician, and the patient. And, and even if you go back to the payer too, um, because ultimately at some point we're all responsible for the total uh, out of control healthcare costs 
um, from a societal basis. So um, nobody is immune to these things. So Steve, from the, from the finance standpoint, how attuned do you think physicians, the CFOs are on realizing cost efficiencies, let's say through clinical variation reduction or through process improvement? Do they truly see that as a means of cost reduction? Or are some of them thinking about, oh, God, you know, it'd be great to get it intuitively. I, I, you know, I understand that. It's just really hard to achieve. Well, good question. So there are 5,000 hospitals now broken down into quite a few bit fewer systems. Um, you asked a general question, which only has a general answer. How attuned are all the CFOs to these issues? I'd say many of them are. I would, I would say, I won't say 100% of them are, but I'd say many of them, if not most of them are attuned to this. It's their job. Part of their, jo their actual job description is to be attuned to this. As the chief financial officer, as the executive in charge of the money, they need to know where the money's coming from, where the revenues are coming from, and where the, ex where the money's being spent. That's their job. And in order to do that, they need to know that the revenue is being generated by the physicians. So they should know that. But here's another part to that. As attuned as they may be, they need to have systems in place that can allow them to do this collaboration that uh, both George and I are talking about. I'm talking particularly now about cost accounting systems. Every hospital has an accounting system, a general ledger, a trial balance. Uh, they have a receivable system, a revenue generating system. But when it comes to cost accounting at what I call the micro cost level, where you can define direct and indirect costs and variable and um, a fixed cost, when you get down to that level and it takes a system, many hospitals, and again, here I'm gonna say most hospitals, do not have an efficient and effective system. Surveys have been done time and again over the last, starting over 20 years ago, where maybe five or 10% of the hospitals would claim they had an effective system. It's 2021, and right now it's still only 30 to 35, maybe 40% will claim they have an effective cost accounting system. Without this cost accounting system, we can't do the things that George just asked for, which were uh, the ability to show the physicians in an easy to use way how they are doing against their peers. And we can do that if we have a cost accounting system. In the article, I show an example of seven lines, seven different physicians across an ammonia DRG. Without getting deep into it, because you can't see the, uh, the chart that's in the article, without getting deep into it, just think about this. Let's say we have 10 physicians and six of those physicians, uh, and the mean, the mean, variable cost for this particular DRG pneumonia 193, which is already severity adjusted. That's the point of the severity adjusted DRG, means that the patients should look alike clinically. They should, not perfectly, but they should. Having said that, if you, if you see that six out of the, the 10 physicians are above the mean, let's say the mean is $3,000, for the variable cost for this particular DRG, let's say six are above it and four are below it. Why can't the six who are above it sit down with the four who are below that $3,000 and talk about how they practice 
their medicine through on these pneumonia diagnoses. That's all. We right. put them in a room, we show the numbers, we show the grid, we let them start talking. And then I think building on, you know, some of what George says, the behavior change is going to be around the incentives that's in place. But, but George, let me turn this over to you. You know, Steve went through the need to have real detailed accounting systems in order to drive the results. You know, physicians are really focused on the clinical outcomes. How, how focused are they on having that micro level detail of accounting to drive some of these results? Yeah, I think in the long run, I think Steve is right. That really is important. And right now we work off a lot of estimated systems for costs. And I think you know, physicians really do want to do the right thing and they don't want to spend money that's not that's wasteful in healthcare. So I think it really has to be tied to outcomes, to processes and other things that we can measure easily. And, and so that there shouldn't be a financial metric without a balancing quality metric. So you want to look at those in tandem and you can look at different behaviors. And, and to, I think your point, you can get physicians in a room and for maybe spending more money, it doesn't mean they're wrong. The question is why are they spending more money? Is there a evidence-based way, something they're doing differently that, that costs more, that doesn't necessarily add value? I think those are the pieces of data that you can get subjectively, but if you can pull up objective data and show them that the outcomes were the same in those two groups and the patients were really the same, but the physicians that had much more expense used a different drug or a different process, or their length of stay was appreciably longer. And you can go back and say, there's no real clinical justification for that. That's really where you can get behavior change. And it needs to be a collegial peer-based conversation um, supported by data and supported by making it very easy to change practice patterns based on sort of very um, an easier, to, well, I shouldn't say easy to use EMR, that's an oxymoron, but something that at least gets them to the right place. So Dan, what George just said, I completely agree with, and it's beautiful. So imagine the grid I just talked about, the table I just talked about, which shows the revenue, the net revenue, the uh, and then fixed and variable costs, different columns, and we come down to a contribution margin and a net margin. Cool. Very important. That's what I would love the physician to start focusing on. The six that are above, the four that are below. But imagine we extend that chart out to other, and we add other columns. So we add other clinical performance measure outcome metrics, like readmission rates of these patients, 30, 60, 90 days, or if we have them, infection rates, or complication rates, or mortality rates, or all of them. We can add column, column, column against these physicians in this DRG. So in this one grid, you now have your costs, you now have your contribution margin, your net margin, and the physicians can see for this specific DRG, their clinical outcomes, their aggregate average clinical outcomes. Oh my gosh, now we're talking now we're really talking. You want to collaborate around finance and, and clinical? There it is. You need a cost accounting system and you need a way to pull out the fields that, we're, that we want, that the physicians want to look at in this grid, being able to pull it out of the EMR, the electronic medical record. No big deal. It's doable. You need the cost accounting system. Everyone has an EMR. Let's go. Let's right. go and let's have these meetings. So- 
so let me throw this out to both of you as a as a question because I've I've sort of um, in the work that I've done, you know, both with the, the finance leaders and with the physician leaders, you know, these conversations I've had have, have always been interesting. And and we'll start with you first, Steve. How does the CFO define ROI and ultimate contribution? And is it different than how the physician sees it? And then I'm going to turn around and ask you the same question. Uh, what are we talking about? Are we talking about spending $50,000 for something that we can do? We can always do an ROI calculation on anything. Every ROI calculation that I know of that I've ever done is filled with a bunch of assumptions. So we can do it because we can make any assumptions we want. Um, so how do, how do we see it? It depends on the project that's being asked for. For instance, what is the ROI of, of acquiring a physician practice? That's not exactly what we're talking about in this podcast, but just as an example, that's usually big, big money and it goes out a long, long way and we have lots of information. Right. Nonetheless, we don't know what's going to happen the day after the acquisition. Well, let me give you another example here. Care management, right? Okay. You invest in care management, and if CFOs have told me, you know, and some of them maybe have, have said it in jest, but boy, investing in care management is like investing in a black hole, right? I mean, we're continuing putting money in and in and in and in and never seeing that that return come out. George, I'm sure you've heard this time and time again, right? I have. And, you know, so, so let me turn it over to you, George. Where, where do you see that ROI coming in at, you know, yeah. as it's being divided from or defined from physicians? Yeah, and I think here's here's really, and this is probably the basis of a whole other conversation. I think in general, physicians aren't going to be focused on the ROI because again, the ROI, and this is where that disconnect comes, the ROI is something the hospital is concerned about. Most times physicians are more concerned about their patients and making sure they get great outcomes. Now they want to be good financial stewards, I think, and if they have the information, they will certainly do their best to be good financial stewards, assuming that there's not huge time burns because again, a physician, you know, all they really giving to the system is their time and seeing patients. And if you take a lot of time in administrative work, it's very, very disruptive. And frankly, they won't do it. So they're not going to be looking at ROI in that same way that a finance person. So you have to construct it in a different model. So care management is a great example because your care management, you're typically trying to prove what didn't happen. I avoided an omission. I avoided this. I avoided that. I coordinated care. And most of us believe it's effective, but it's very hard to quantify. Um, and that's why you hear what you've been hearing. But is it good for patient care? Yes. Do we believe that it absolutely contributes to the bottom line of an ACO or a health plan? Yes. Can we measure it accurately? Absolutely not. So I think physicians are, are looking at different things. And the more that we can quantify it, and make it easy for physicians to be good financial stewards, they will absolutely cooperate. But if you make it hard and you make it only about money and you make it something that can't be tied back to patient care, I think that's where that real tension um, exists between finance and physicians. Well, absolutely right. And I think it gets back, Steve, what, what you've talked about as you've kind of mentioned, you know, the chart and, and kind of lining up the physicians and measuring against different quality, it really comes down to how you deliver the information, right? If you deliver it in a way that makes sense to the physician, that they can see a lot of value in it, maybe they may not be as 
interested in the direct ROI, but they're very strong physician stewards. They want to do the right thing for the organization. And at the end of the day, spending multi-million dollars for little results, I mean, nobody's going to do that. So, so I, I agree, Steve. Yeah, so let me, and that's good. And Dan, I agree with you. And I agree with everything George said about when you brought up the care management. Let me expand on that for a minute. Um, the key to that is, um, and I heard you say that some, you've talked to some CFOs who don't think they see value there. But let me, let me say this, in what George said, he brought up an incredibly good point. He said it could have positive impact like in an ACO. Here's what we haven't talked about, particularly in this podcast at the moment. We haven't talked about the types of reimbursement we're really talking about. So care management would be harder to justify financially in the old fee-for-service or even, even DRG methodology of reimbursement. But it's much easier to justify in an ACO, in a capitated kind of a clinically integrated network kind of basis, much more easy. So what are we talking about? We're back to this. Where are we going? Well, I couldn't agree with you more if I can jump in. Yeah. I think if you're going to be entering, if organizations are entering into value-based contracts, whether it's shared savings or eventually into full risk, you cannot succeed in those contracts without having strong care management. It won't happen. And, and I think that gets back to sort of what we've said before, that sometimes the ROI is hard to quantify, i.e. care management, because you're planning around things not occurring, not necessarily the investment going into what will necessarily occur. And, and I think that's the challenge that we're continuing to see. I think at the end of the day, what it leads me to believe is that, again, information has to be collaborative and has to be combined and presented in a way that makes sense to the audience, right? To the, either the CFO, the finance, the board, the CEO, whatever the case may be. I think also, too, and George, you touched on this, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more, we have to have the right incentives in place. And it can't just be the incentives for the physicians. It has to be the incentives for the finance leader as well, too. Because if, they're, if the finance leader's incentive is all around bottom line operating margin in a fee-for-service world, those incentives are going to be different than value-based care. So, gentlemen, I, I, we're coming to the end of our, our podcast here. I guess I want to give some some few uh, you know minute or two for some closing remarks. I guess based on your article, based on the recommendations that that you've put in the article, and, and even our conversation here, maybe Steve will start with you. What are some recommendations or some closing comments you'd give to some of your finance colleagues out there? I would say make sure you have the systems in place to provide the information that the physicians really want. And in this case, I'm going to once again, talk about a, any kind of cost accounting, any kind of effective cost accounting system. I don't care who it is. I don't care where it comes from, um, but you have to be able to break this, your costs down, your, your total costs down through your general ledger and your trial balance lines down into fixed, variable, direct and indirect so that you can come up with contribution margins and net margins to show the physicians how they're doing financially. And then, then make sure you create the outcomes, the reporting outcomes that include those clinical, those clinical outcomes. 
in columns right. so that you can line them up and the physicians will not be able to say, A, my patients are sicker, B, we're doing something different and it's all correct because that's the way we work. Let's put them in the room with their colleagues and let them talk to their colleagues about this. That will work and it will work almost every time, but it won't work without good quality data turned into actionable information. Yep, couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. George, any thoughts? Okay, and I'll break it down into maybe five things in no particular order. One is absolute transparency. Share data, share information, share finances, share it in a, in a digestible format and share it regularly. Don't wait to be asked. Second thing is educate um, both docs and finance. We need education on both ends to understand each other's world and viewpoint. Third thing, if a lot of this is about the relationships, it, it can't be group setting. There needs to be some one-on-one -on -one and some dialogue and some relationship building. Fourth piece is alignment. And I talked about that's so alignment incentives, alignment of comp models, those things so that everybody's rowing in the right direction. And the last thing is it. Um, all these things really result and, and should contribute to a collaborative model where everybody's about good patient care. Everybody wants to do the right thing for the patient, for the organization, and ultimately um, to be good financial stewards. So um, nobody goes into healthcare from either administrative side or physician side um, without you know, the, the, the noble goals. We all want to do the right thing. So it's just about getting the right people in the right room with the right information. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This was fantastic. And again, congratulations on a great article. Um, I know you all have a upcoming webinar that's that you're planning on. Um, I believe that is on July 20th, uh, 11 o'clock central. So anybody that any of our audience members want to hear a little bit more around um, this particular topic, I think you know, that webinar would be, would be a great opportunity. And, you know, just to wrap up again, I, I, you know, Steve, you touched on this and, and I absolutely agree. The more we can collaborate, the more we can be transparent. And as George, you said, the more that we can create the right alignment and incentives, that's, what's really going to be key. Well, on behalf of our guests, Dr. George Maisel and Steve Berger, I want to thank you all for participating today. Great topic of discussion. And until next time, I'm Daniel Marino. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.